Darkness has fallen on the ground. The stench of death is all around. Dry bones scattered throughout this place. Brittle as splinters on a wooden surface. Like ropes entangled, she has been strangled by the thorny vines of despair. Here hope lies, with no one left to mourn her. Even those who scorned her are nowhere to be found. For once she hit the ground and (gasps) drew her last breath, even those who murdered her could not escape death. I stand here, stuck in the middle of a valley of dry bones, the bones of hope, the bones of men. Dry bones scattered throughout this place, brittle as splinters on a wooden surface. Like ropes entangled, I have been strangled by the thorny vines of despair. I'm stuck in a valley of dry bones. God, forgive me when you see me walking in the dark aimlessly in circles with my head down. My focus is on the ground because I'm searching for the light of the lamp that was promised to guide my clumsy feet. Some days I'm too scared to walk into the black of night, so I stay put hoping that the light will find me. Other days I'm bold enough to step out and stumble and fall on my face, stamping my confused, tear-streaked expression into the ground of this place. Please forgive me if I seem distracted, if my intentions are not clear, if I keep spewing out the same old mess as if you haven't lent an ear. Forgive me if I cannot engage with you in a healthy conversation or articulate my concerns. It's just that I'm walking with broken bones and burns that have never yielded, and with every Every word that comes out of my mouth, the reverberation of the sound of my own voice and sharp shooting pains throughout my entire being. Because my every word in between each breath I gasp for reminds me of why I'm in this body cast for my injuries from the past. Lord, mend this broken vessel at last or I think I may just die. For I cannot live without hope. I'm stuck in a valley of dry bones. I'm stuck in a hopeless valley of dry bones. You see, I've been waiting so long for this mountain to move that I'm losing all trust in myself. So God, prove yourself strong in this storm. I can't do this alone. I can't trip around falling apart on my own. A doctor can only guess what's wrong with me. Stitch my wounds up as far as a man's eyes can see. Create the conditions for healing to come. But only a healer can heal what's been done. I cry out to the one who can see all of me. Weld my flesh into a single scar for everyone to see that I've been made new. God, I know that you can. God, I'm desperate. I cannot rely on a man and a man's principles that deny who you are and deny who you've been when you've never been far. You've been waiting for me, Lord, to come to this place so I confess that I need you now. Show me your face. Potter's hands take the clay. Shape me into who I am. Breathe new dreams into my lungs and flood your blood into this dam that It's been dried out for far too long and caused a famine in my heart. I take ownership of all the things I've done wrong from the start that caused a drought among the people that you've given me to grow and now lay before me lifeless in this valley. 
And I know now when you heal me this time, Father, that it is not just for me. For you so loved the whole world that the whole world would be free. <laughs> so living God, I thank you. Yes, I thank you in advance. Fill me up with a contagious joy that causes me to dance. That even through this valley of death and in my darkest hour, I have everlasting hope to live and in my hands the power to sing your song into piles of bones your words that breathe life I am the one who lay my life down for the ones who live in strife now what I have to say is pure and pains you have you must endure until my purpose brings you out and cleanses you of all the doubt that you are fearful wonderful a masterpiece set for the world to heal the broken calm the cries and teach them how to see with eyes of faith that what they hope for dream of ain't nothing to what I seen a visions of a future for you relentlessly you must pursue with hope your true identity with hope believe you now can stand in me morning everyone good to see you all thanks Philip that was powerful a couple of things just to let you know about before, before I get into the message today. Beth mentioned we've got the first Sunday event here on the first Sunday in May. And that's a big opportunity uh, for us. It's great. It's exciting to be able to host this as a church here uh, in Edinburgh. Come along if you're free. Put the time in your diary. And uh, actually, it's not going to be Andrew Owen speaking. It's going to be a guy called Patrick Dixon. Patrick uh, is a, an amazing guy. He's called a futurist. The economists described him as Europe's leading futurist. Uh, he... He's aware, his finger's in the pulse of where the world's at and where the world's going. He's an advisor uh, to people like Google, IBM, and others. Uh, that's in his professional capacity, but he's also a believer in Jesus. And he started a phenomenal AIDS charity called Asset, um, which, which is doing a great work around the world. He's a phenomenal speaker. I don't know if the, if the stage is big enough for him, because he, he, he he'll, he'll fall off, I suspect. We might have to have catchers down underneath. He, he stage dives and everything, this guy. He's amazing. You don't want to miss him. Uh, okay, that's, that's that. And also, a couple of great things to let you know about. Not, uh, the, leading up to Easter Sunday, we had a week entitled Shine, where we were really working with the local youth and work, working with local teenagers. And uh, there was a kind of build-up to that, so most of you are aware it was happening. And uh, it was a brilliant week. that We connected with about 100 kids that we've never connected with before in this area. So isn't that great? Every Friday night now here in Edinburgh in the, in the, in the Gorgie building here we have a, a shine event for the local kids so it's great they're starting to come last Friday there was a, there's a bunch of them along and uh, it's great to see that grow and impact and also just to let you know some good news for UK, uh, Tier Funds do an annual survey of the state of the church in the UK and this year for the first year in many many years they reported that church attendance is up in the UK, and it hasn't been that for decades. So isn't that great news? <clears throat> so we're part of that, and I, I believe uh, God wants to do something great in a, in a nation that's been turning its back on him. Last thing to let you know about, Andrew Owen's written this book called Life is an Obstacle Course. And we've been going through the book of James on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings. 
And uh, this is Andrew's book on the book of James. He, he, he did a series on James and this, this book came from that series. So if you want to have some reading to go alongside the series, uh, you can enjoy this book. So Gareth, where's Gareth at the back? Gareth Phillips there. Uh, can I give this one away for free, Gareth? You sure? Are you paying for it? Awesome, right. Gareth's going to give someone a book here. Who would like this book? Right up in the balcony, yeah? Here it comes. <laughs> Love from Gareth. <laughs> He's got several more that he needs to make his money back now, so you need to buy some more books, several. Okay, today I'm going to be talking to you about God's surprising growth strategy. Two weeks ago, before Easter Sunday, we talked about why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, if you missed that message, you might want to go download that. It's free on the web. I'm going to follow on the same theme, looking at suffering. There was um, three guys, they died and they ended up at the pearly gates of heaven. The apostle Peter met them at the pearly gates and said, uh, welcome guys, slight problem. Heaven is getting quite crowded and uh, we're only allowing in people today who have had particularly gruesome deaths. Right folks, before you get in all theological, I mean, right, this is not a theological thing, right? So just, it's a joke, all right? Chill out. You're writing down notes here and checking at the Bible concordance. That's not right. It's not right. I know it's not right. I know it's not right. It's a joke. All right, lighten up. Okay. We'll come back to the theology in a minute. So the three guys, they die and they say, can't get to heaven because there's not enough space. And uh, you have to have a particularly gruesome death to get in today. So they say, well, can you tell us your stories? So the first guy said, okay, this is my story. It's, it's horrendous. I, I woke up this morning, normal day. I went to get my newspaper. I live in the 10th floor in a tower block. I got down to the bottom, I was going to the news agents, I happened to look back at my flat and I could see someone behind the curtains in my flat. I knew it was a robber, so I ran back up the stairs, I burst the door open and I hunted through that flat to find this, I couldn't find the robber anywhere, but I knew I saw someone. Eventually I came out in the balcony and there clinging onto the edge of my balcony was someone hanging on there. I knew it. I knew you were here. So I started prizing the guy's fingers off my balcony and he wouldn't let go. So I started kicking the fingers. He still didn't let go. So I ran inside and grabbed a hammer and started hammering his fingers until eventually he fell. The guy fell all the way down. Fortunately, there was a bush and the guy landed in the bush and he lived. So I ran into the kitchen. I grabbed the fridge freezer and I dropped it on the guy. <laughs> Out of the shock of all that had happened, I took a heart attack and I dropped dead. St. Peter said, that was a horrendous death. Come on in. The second guy said, right, get this. I live in the 11th floor of a tower block. I, as I do every morning, I was doing my exercises in my balcony. And, but this time I slipped. But thankfully, I managed to grab hold of my neighbor's below's balcony. <laughs> as I was hanging there, I was really hoping someone would come and help me. And then my neighbor appeared. But then he started trying to prize my fingertips off his balcony. And then he disappears and comes back with a hammer. He's whacking me. I can't hang on, hang on any longer. So eventually I have to let go and I fall. And I think I'm doomed. I see my life flash before my face. And, but I, I land on a hedge and I think, oh, good. I lived. Then the next thing I see is this fridge freezer. And down it comes. And here I am, I'm dead. So Peter said, that's horrendous. And he turned to the last guy and said, so what's your story? He said, right, get this. I'm hiding in this fridge freezer. <laughs> yeah. It's a true story, apparently. <laughs> okay, suffering. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5 and verse 12. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's an unusual start to a letter. James, literally, this is verse two, the second verse into his letter. The first verse is like, hi, it's James here. Second verse is, you're going to face tons of challenges. It's not how I start my letters. It's just kind of right in there. But that's how James starts his letters here. I want to tell you simply four things that you need to know about suffering. And I'm going to follow up with three things you need to do when you're suffering. Four things you need to know when you're suffering. Number one, problems are inevitable. James chapter one, verse two says, whenever you face problems. It doesn't say if, it says whenever. Problems are a fact of life. If you're not facing problems, check your pulse. It's a reality. Furthermore, in the book of Psalms, it says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of, out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, many people think, oh, come to have faith in God, that everything will get better. But according to the Bible, many are the afflictions of the righteous. It is the case that oftentimes when you choose to follow God and live life God's way, that actually life starts getting tougher. It's, it's the truth. Now, you might face different kind of challenges, but life is not necessarily, becoming a believer isn't the easy option. It's a great option, but sometimes it's the tough option. It means taking responsibility rather than just going with the flow. It means maybe facing some opposition rather than just not rocking the boat. Problems are inevitable. Second thing you need to know about problems are problems are predictable. The Bible says, count it all joy when you face. Well, the word face is in the Greek language peripepto, which means to fall into. It's almost like by accident, you fall into it. You don't plan to have problems. You don't like say, okay, today at four o'clock, I'm going to have a flat tire. Or on Monday, I'm going to have a tragedy first thing in the morning. You know, you don't plan to have problems. This is what makes problems problems. They're inconvenient. You didn't plan them. You didn't want them at that time, at that place. If you had more time more, and more energy to deal with them, they wouldn't be such a problem. But it's because it's inconvenient. That's what makes them a problem. Problems are unpredictable. And thirdly, problems are variable. James chapter, two verse, chapter 1 verse 2, trials of many kinds, James says. There's great assortments. You never get bored with them. There's a great variety of trials. Again, in the Greek language, epokilos is the word used for many kinds. And it literally means multicolored. There are many, many different varieties of problems and trials. You should try some. There's some great varieties out there. James is writing to a, pe- to a people who are facing a particular type of trial. Last week, we dis- sorry, two weeks ago, we discovered in verse one, James is writing to people who are facing persecution for being believers. He's writing to Jewish converts 
who, because of persecution, have been literally scattered across the known world at James's time. So G- James is writing to people who are suffering for their faith. So while he's writing to them for a particular type of suffering, he's also making an application that's applicable to all kinds of suffering. So it might be today that you're not suffering because of your faith. Maybe you're suffering in a different area in life. Well, James is writing to you just as much as he's writing to the people who are suffering for their faith. Because there's many kinds of trials, and that's what he's writing about. Fourthly, problems are purposeful. James 1, verses 2 to 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face many trials of many kinds, because you know. You think, man, consider it pure joy when you face trials? You mean, consider it pure hell when you face trials. That's what you should have written. Consider it pure hell when you face trials, my brothers. You'd all say amen to that. But he says, consider it pure joy. What? How on earth can you consider it pure joy? Very simply, two things. You first of all, got to, before you can experience the joy in the trial, you first of all got to consider the trial. Consider it pure joy. The word consider is a Greek word called hegemoni, which means to lead, to rule, to command, to have authority over, or to consider, deem, account, calculate, or to think. So when you're going into your challenge, you've got to get your calculator out. You've got to ask yourself, Flip, this is costing me an awful lot. But what's the outcome? Oh, right. Then I'm going to enjoy it. (laughs) There's a joy comes from knowing that it adds up. The price tag is worth the result. You see the exact same thing taking place with Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible teaches that Jesus, he he wasn't just a rabbi who got unlucky and they crucified him. It wasn't just that this religious guy had wound too many people up so they crucified him. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection was the plan of God's. God came, God lived, and Jesus Christ at the end of his life hung and died on a cross. And the Bible tells us what was going on in that moment. The Bible says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw the outcome and he said, I'm willing to do it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't imposed upon him. He willingly accepted the cross. It was the plan, the divine plan of the heavenly father for the salvation of your life and my life. For the joy set before, what was the joy set before Jesus? Let me tell you very clearly, it was you. You were on his mind as he hung and died on that cross. Jesus saw the hundreds of people gathered today and he said, for them, I'll do it. And for the thousands upon thousands and the millions who have put their faith in him, who have been saved through his death, he decided it was worth it. For the joy set before him, Jesus saw your life. He knew the price that was required to be paid for your life. And he was willing. See, folks, we were created to know God. Our sin 
has separated us from God. The only solution to that, the only solution to that was Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf on the cross. No other religious activity, no other quest, no other thing that you can do. God did it for you. And Jesus paid the price for you so that you wouldn't need to pay the price yourself. So you can come to him and be forgiven. For the joy set before him and he endured the cross, he got his calculator out. He figured you were worth the price. And he went to that cross willingly, died for you in that cross, died in shame. He took our shame, died taking our sin, paid the price, rose again. You can put your faith in him and be saved today. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So how can you know joy in the midst of your trial? Well, know the purpose. Calculate the costs. Figure out, okay, I can get through this and I'll come out better. How else can you know the joy in the trial? It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do you count your trial joy? Because you know. Because you know that it will develop you. Because you know it's going to achieve something in you. Because you know, ah, it's worth it. So what are the purposes in your trial? Well, here's just three of them really quickly. Purpose number one is to problems purify your faith. Your faith will become purer through your challenges in life. It says in James 1.3, the testing of your faith that word testing in the Greek language is dokimon, and it means proving or being tried. This word's also used in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. You have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof or the proving, the dokimon of your faith, be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it is refined by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here the picture is that your faith, which is very precious, you know, one of the most precious commodities you have is your faith. According to the Bible, your faith is more precious than money. You can't buy your faith. Your faith is the most precious commodity you have. And the Bible gives us this picture here of your faith being tried and tested. Just like gold is refined in the fire. So you've, got, you've all got your gold watches on today. And your gold watches went through a refining process to make it worth the thousands of pounds that you paid for your watch. <clears throat> you had your gold. And you, it, what, what took place was they took gold from the earth. It was raw. It was mixed in with debris and with rocks and with uh, alien things. And they took it and they heated it up. They put it in a furnace. And that gold in the furnace was refined the dross, the blemishes, the, the things that weren't pure gold floated to the surface. And the person who, who worked with the gold scooped from the surface the dross. It left only pure gold. It's tragic, but it's true. It is the case that many of you would not be in this room today as a worshiper of God had you not gone through challenges. It is tragic, but it's true. It's tragic that it took that for us to figure out what life's all about. 
But thank God where we are today. And it is the case that your faith, when the pressure's on, develops. Someone said that Christians are like tea bags. You really see what's in them when you put them in hot water. <laughs> um, I've got a picture here of, of leaf springs. Now, leaf springs are the old-fashioned springs that they use in cars. And leaf springs are is basically layers of sandwiched metal. And the layers of metal uh, have been gone through a specific process to make them flexible and strong. You take ordinary metal and you make a leaf spring with ordinary metal and the stress and the pressure would cause it to fracture or shatter. But the leaf springs, the metal has gone through a process by which they're incredibly strong. So what you do is you take the metal, you heat the metal up till it's red hot. Then you take the red hot metal and you put it in oil. The oil burns up, but also the oil absorbs into the metal. You cool the metal down And then you again put it in a furnace, heat it up to red hot, it burns off the oil, and then you let it cool down again. After all of that, your metal is now stronger than it was when it began the process. It's also more flexible than it was before the process began. It's gone through a process by which it can now become useful, purposeful, flexible, yet strong. God allows things to happen in our lives by which our faith, which is such a precious commodity in our lives, can be tested, purified, strong. You know, my mum, in the last five years of her life, she had a phenomenal life. In the last five years of her life, she loved God more than she ever had. Now, she had a terminal disease. God didn't give her that terminal disease. I, I don't know why she had the term. We prayed for healing. I don't know why she wasn't healed. I believe in God, a God who heals. I believe, I've seen miracles with my own eyes. I've seen cancers disappear. I've seen terminal illnesses removed. I know God heals. He didn't heal my mom. I don't know why, but I believe God heals. But I have to tell you, in those five years, my mom was alive in God. She'd been a nominal Christian all her life. The 50 years leading up to that, She'd gone to church. She'd gone through the motions. She believed that God was there. She'd even gone forward at a Billy Graham crusade. But in the last five years of her life, she was alive in her faith. She got baptized with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. She got herself baptized in water. She got involved with a church like never before. Her marriage to my dad was more passionate than I'd ever seen it growing up. There were less arguments there was more love and passion, they they were really in love. She became became a phenomenal artist. In fact, one of her last exhibitions finished the day before she died. She sold tons of paintings down in London. She, She flourished. Why the heck is that? I don't know. But all I know is this, that sometimes when the heat's on, the purity of what was in you comes out and you shine. Purpose number two in problems is problems fortify your patience. You see, sometimes we need to have stickability. You need to have the ability to keep on keeping on. Too many of us quit too soon. But problems have an ability to cause you to have strong perseverance in life. 
James 1 verse 3 says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The Greek word perseverance is hupomonai, which means cheerful or hopeful endurance, consistency, enduring, patience, patient continuance. It comes from two Greek words, hupo and monai. Hupo means under and monai means to abide. Hupomonai literally means to abide under. When the Bible's talking about your perseverance, it's, talk, it's, it's like a picture of a weightlifter holding a weight, standing under that weight. Now we do everything we can to get out from under the weight. We take drugs, we drink too much, we go to Disneyland, we lie in beaches. Get me away from the pressure. But Hupomone describes a person who stays under the pressure, doesn't quit, resists the pressure, pushes against the pressure, and when you push against the pressure, you develop muscle, you develop strength. You see, you can have two people with the exact same pressure. One person just accepts the pressure. Ugh. It doesn't develop any strength in that person at all. In fact, it crushes them. It pins them down. It neutralizes them in life. You get another person with the identical pressure and they push against it. Hupomonai, abiding under it, pushing against it. Perseverance, not quitting, not running away from it, but pushing against it. You develop muscle, you develop stickability. There was a research carried out 10 years ago. It was carried out after the, you know, the space station was constructed and the first man had stayed on the space station for six months. When he came back from the space station, it, that isn't for anyone, is it? <laughs> I know what kind of people you are, I just, just want to check, okay. <laughs> when he came back from the space station, uh, they did tests on him and they discovered that the weightless environment he had been in had caused his skeleton structure to degrade. He was weak. He could hardly lift anything. He could hardly hug people. He was completely flimsy, having had six months in a no-pressure, anti-gravity environment. It undermined his ability to carry weight. So they had to go through a process and they researched the guy and they gave him all sorts of treatments and they gave him all sorts of calcium boosts and different exercise eventually to build up his skeletal structure again to the point where he could again carry weight. Folks, being in an environment where there is no pressure actually undermines your ability to persevere, undermines your ability to stand to carry weight. So God can use problems to develop a new perseverance. It fortifies your perseverance. Thirdly, problems sanctify your character. Problems sanctify your character. James 1 verse 4 says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Isn't that awesome? That you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, for many people, because they don't understand God's purpose in their problem, they cripple, they crumble under the problem. <laughs> we have heating. Let's hear it for the heating. Okay. Because they don't understand the purpose in the problem, 
They crumble under it. But when you understand that actually the problem is there and God will use that problem to develop in you something great, then you can face the challenge. God has one great purpose for your life. You might want to write this down. You know what God's great purpose for your life is? Very clearly, very strongly, he wants to make you like Jesus. He wants to make you Christ-like. He wants to make you like himself. That's his intention for you. You see, folks, God's interested in character. For God, character is the bottom line. Aaron Baxter put it this way. He said that God is more interested than the production of character than the provision of comfort. We want the comfort, but God's looking for the character. And God will use all sorts of stuff to develop in us good character. Um, I, want to, I, want, I want you to write that God's number one purpose for your life is character, the Christ-likeness. A woman went to a diet control center and she decided, she'd, she'd decided, I want to lose weight. So when she arrived there, the specialist got her in front of a mirror and he, he stood there with her in front of the mirror and with a marker pen, he drew her outline on the mirror. Having drawn the outline in the mirror, he said to her, now, this is what I want you to look like several months from now. And he drew a second outline within the outline. And he said, every week, I want you to stand in front of that mirror. I want you to become, as best you can, make your goal to look like the second outline. And I guess that's what it's like with Christ-likeness. Jesus came. God revealed himself to us. God came and Jesus lived a great life. That is our role model for what life can look like. Our character, our lives, the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we relate, the way we are with others, the way we move in the power of the Holy Spirit, all of that, we want to become more like Jesus. And every day we've got to look and say, God, make me more like Jesus. God does this in two ways. God helps you to become more like Jesus in two very simple ways. First of all, he does it through his word and his Holy, and his Holy Spirit. Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The Bible changes you. Now, I don't know if anyone experienced this. I remember as a 15-year-old, just, I just became a Christian and I started reading the Bible. Man, I didn't know what happened to me. It was like, what? What's going on? I started reading the Bible and every time I read it, he would challenge me to the point where I thought, I don't want to read that again. And I would read it again. And it would challenge me again. And man, it was like open heart surgery for the first few months of being a Christian. Anyone experienced that, having become a Christian? Right. It's nuts. It's like, God, you're mad at me? What? What's going on? God goes to town on you. And actually, it's an expression of his love. Because he loves you that much, he accepts you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And he takes you, and he starts to work on you. And the primary way he does this is through his word, the Bible. You open the Bible, it challenges your life and the Holy Spirit pinpoints areas in your life and I don't know how it is the case. I don't know how it is that you happen to open the Bible the exact bit you need to read. How does that happen? I don't know. Anyone had that? Right. It's nuts. Freaky, right? God, how did you know? Oh yeah, you're God. It's incredible. God knows and he challenges you and he, and he chops you up and he knocks you down and he roughs you up and he tells you, I still love you and God changes you. He sanctifies you. He changes you. 
The second way God does it is through hard times. And this is God's surprising growth strategy. God uses hard times to develop your character. Listen to this, Romans 8, 28 and 29. The first verse, verse 28, is very familiar. It's famous, we all know it. Verse 29 isn't so familiar. Verse 28 says, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 says, for those who foreknew, he also predestines to become conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's interesting, those two verses actually go together. God's purpose for your life, according to the Bible, is that he predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible before that says that he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and who are on track with that purpose in life. I promise you something. If you love God, and if you're on track with his purpose for your life, I promise you, according to the Bible, that everything you face, every challenge you face, every hiccup you face, everything that goes wrong, God will turn it to your advantage. And he will cause it to work in you, his purpose, to help you become more like Jesus. Just as James says, you'll become perfect, mature and complete, not lacking anything. God uses stuff to shape you. Charles Spurgeon said this, many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. Okay, three things you need to do when you're suffering. Number one, when you're suffering, rejoice. James 1-2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice the Bible says, whenever you face. It doesn't say after you face. It's not like, phew, I got through that. Praise the Lord. Yay. <laughs> it says, whenever you face. In the middle of it, praise God. In your suffering, rejoice. I'm not, it's not like, the Bible's not saying fake it, all right? It's not saying like, how are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm doing great. It's not fake it, right? It's not saying that. It's also not saying be some sort of kind of strange macasist. Ma- don't be one of them. Also, don't be a masochist. Like kind of bring on the problems. Ooh, give me another problem. You weirdo. What kind of person are you? You macasist. It's, it's, it's not like you become some sort of weird person who's kind of looking at some martyr complex. Come on, someone persecute me in my Christian or bring on the problems. I want more suffering. It's, not, it's nothing to do with that. It's, it's, it's just saying that in the middle of stuff you go through in life, rejoice in God. Despite the situation, despite the circumstance. First Thessalonians 5, 18. It'd be really good if you could all read this with me. Remember I've asked you to do that before in the past and sometimes you never do it. So it'd be quite good if, if, if I said, let's read this together. If, if what I'm saying is actually do what I ask. Let's try it. Crazy idea. Let's, let's all read this together. Okay? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 1, 2, 3. I've even given you, I've even given you a lead in. You understand what I'm saying? So let's start again. Right? 
First Thessalonians, this introduction, 5.18. One, two, three. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I wonder what God's will for my life is. Got verse for you. In everything, give thanks. In everything. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything. It doesn't say for everything. It says in everything. It doesn't say, oh, praise you, Father, for the sickness I've got. Well, why are you thanking him? He didn't give it to you. You don't thank him if he didn't author it. You're not thanking him for something. You're thanking him in the middle of something. There's a big difference. It's not, thank you, Father, for these problems. Thank you, Father, that these people hate me. Thank you, Father, I just lost my job. Thank you so much for causing that to happen. And thank you for giving me this disease. That's so loving of you, God. I don't think so. The Bible doesn't say thank God for everything. It says thank God in everything. And that's a big difference. Because God is not the author of sickness. He's the solution to it. God is not the author of suffering. He's the solution to it. God is not the author of you losing your job. That might have been you. But in everything, give thanks. In your suffering, here's a practical thing you can do. You can rejoice. You can give thanks to God in the middle of any situation you find yourself in. And actually, this is one way to get out of it really quick. Paul and Silas, recorded in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas, they they were doing great. They were on their missionary journey. They were telling people about Jesus. Many people were coming to faith. And in one particular place, they faced severe opposition to the point where they were imprisoned. They were whipped. They were bleeding. They were imprisoned. They were in shackles. And you know what they were doing in the middle of the night? They were singing songs to God. Isn't that awesome? The other prisoners must have thought, these guys are nuts. They've lost the plot. Why are you singing songs to God? You've just been whipped. You've got bleeding blacks, backs. These must be macarists or of some type. It must have been the weirdest thing to hear these guys worshiping God in the middle of the night. Oh, praise you, Lord. They were just going for it. They were worshiping God. And in the middle of the night, the Bible says, God sent an earthquake, shook the foundations of the prison. The gates opened. The shackles fell off. A miracle took place. It resulted in the jailer becoming a Christian. You can understand that. Okay, I believe. But their praise got them out of the situation. Now, were they praising God? Were they saying, God, thank you so much for causing us to be in these shackles and Thank you for inspiring those people to whip us and cause our backs to bleed. That was really nice of you, God. Especially seeing that we were laying our lives down to tell people about you. Right? That wasn't what they were doing. They were saying, thank you, God. Although you didn't cause us, thank you, you're still with us. You see, folks, here's a big key. <clears throat> Many of you, when you go through stuff, you're focusing in on what you've lost. You're focusing in on the things you no longer have rather than the things you have. Now, what you have is eternal. What you have is forgiveness. What you have is God's acceptance of you and his promise to never leave you. What you've lost, oh well. Can't do anything about that. So why not focus in on what you've still got rather than what you've lost? And you can thank God. Thank God in the midst of your situation. Here's King David, Psalm 34 verse 1. I love this verse. I will bless the Lord while I'm on holiday. 
his praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Isn't that a brilliant verse? Is that what your Bible says? Yes? Yeah. It's the message translation. All right. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry, I've misread it. I will bless the Lord when I get my paycheck. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. No? That's not the one either, is it? Okay. I will bless the Lord when I got that hot day. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. There it says? Is that what the Bible says? No, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Nothing to do with circumstance. Everything to do with God. That's what you do when you're suffering. Viktor Frankl, the famous psychiatrist, whose writings after the Second World War became famous, especially his writings on the meaning of life. In the Second World War, he was a Jewish man taken into a concentration camp. He'd been stripped of everything, his children, his wife, literally his clothes. He was standing there naked in front of an SS officer who had a gun at his head. He had one last thing remaining, his wedding ring. And at gunpoint, the SS officer demanded that the very last possession he had, he gave up. As he gave him the wedding ring, a thought went through his head. And this is what he said. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance. To choose one's way. That's powerful. You can choose your attitude. You can choose your attitude. That's what makes the difference between bitter and better. That's what makes the difference between you coming out of a circumstance bitter or coming out of a circumstance better. Same, pe- same problem, two different people. Identical problem. Identical type of lives. Identical political environment. Identical economic situation. Identical job descriptions. Two people, two different people, one problem. One ends up bitter, one ends up better. What's the deal? Your attitude. You can choose in your problem to say, thank you God and worship him, just as you would even before you were in the problem. Nothing changes because God doesn't change. Or you can choose to blame him, grumble, complain, focus in on the situation. And you, my friend, will end up bitter. It was the same problem. It had the potential to make you, but it broke you. It ruined you. I'm not saying that problems will instantly cause you to become a better person. That's not the case. You and I all know many people whose problems have made them the most bitter, twisted people we know. Problems are are not designed to bless you. God wants to bless you. However, God can turn all things for your good, and that's his promise, because you're on track with his purpose for your life. God can cause even the bad stuff to work around to your advantage, to develop in you phenomenal character. You can come out better, not bitter. Why? Because you chose to praise. Martin Luther said this. Whatever virtues tribulation finds in us, it develops more fully. If someone is carnal, weak, blind, wicked, haughty, and so forth, the tribulation will make him more carnal, weak, blind, wicked, and irritable. On the other hand, if someone is spiritual, strong, wise, 
pious, gentle, and humble, he will become more spiritual, powerful, wise, pious, gentle, and humble in the trial. Folks, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on circumstance. Everything's going well, you're happy. Things aren't going well, you're not happy. It's in the realm of your soul. It's in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Joy, however, is far deeper. Joy is in the realm of your spirit or your heart. Joy is not based in circumstances. Joy is based in God. According to Galatians, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not based on a fruit of your circumstances. It's based on God's. Joy is based in God. David, in the middle of a tough situation, writes in Psalm 43, verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Who is David's joy? Who is David's joy? God was his joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. David wrote that. If you read the, foot, the kind of header at the head of that psalm, you'll find that David was in a tough time. He was in a tough time. He was in the run for his life and he was having to do things to get by. And here in the middle of this, he says, God, you're my exceeding joy. You see, folks, if you're, if you're basing joy, if you're confusing joy and happiness, you're not gonna experience what we're talking about here. If you're looking for circumstances to be right before you start thanking God for things, then you're basing your life on happiness and on circumstances. What we're talking about is joy. And joy is not based in circumstances. Joy is based on something more unchangeable, on God. God doesn't change, therefore your joy can remain constant. Circumstances change, therefore happiness may come and go. But you can remain joyful no matter what. William Barclay said, it is not the joy that comes from earthly things, still less from triumphing over someone someone else in, co- in a competition. It is a joy whose foundation is God. Secondly, when you're suffering, ask for wisdom. It says in James 1 verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. In your suffering, ask God for wisdom. Why would you ask God for wisdom? Very simply. Firstly, you ask God for wisdom to figure out the way out of the problem. Here's here's something I've learned, and this is a lifeline. I do not believe, and I'm utterly convinced, there is always a way through. I'm utterly convinced there is no such thing as a dead end in a believer's life. I am so convinced of that. It might seem like it's a dead end, but I know in God there's a wisdom to get through. I know that. I'm utter, there's no situation you need to fear because in God there's always a way through. Ask God for wisdom in the middle of your trial. Say, God, give me wisdom. What do I do here? Okay, there was three guys. They were right on the edge of a raging river. This, this was a, a very dangerous raging river. The first guy prays to God, God's Give me the strength to get over this problem. God made him strong. He jumped in the river and he swam, fought really hard, but he made it to the other side. The second guy said, God, give me the strength and the tools to get across this river. And a rowing boat appeared. And he jumped in that rowing boat and God gave him strength. And with all his strength, he rowed across that raging river. The third guy said, God, give me the strength Give me the tools and give me the wisdom to get across this river. 
he became a woman. <laughs> she looked upstream and there was a bridge that had always been there. She walked to the bridge, went across that bridge, and was safely on the other side. <laughs> I dedicate that joke to the ladies. Um, ask God for wisdom. There's always a way through. There, say after me, there's always a way through. Say it louder. There's always a way through. And that's so hopeful. With God, there's always a way through. And the other reason I ask God for wisdom is because I don't want to miss the lesson he wants to teach me. In the situation, there's some certain, I, I want it to develop me. If I'm going to go face through a challenge, God, I want you to do something in my character. I don't want this to be meaningless. I don't want to just get through this scarred. I want to get through this changed. God, give me wisdom to learn what I need to learn. Otherwise, somewhere down the line, I'm going to have to learn the lesson anyway. Let me learn it now, God. What do I need to learn right now in this situation? Have I been dumb? Have I got myself in this situation? Have others been dumb to me? How do I handle them? Do I need to learn something? Do I need to get rid of fear? What do I need to do, God? What do I do? Give me wisdom and God will take you through. Thirdly and finally, when you're suffering, remember. I want to encourage you see things from an eternal perspective. Not temporary perspective. See things from an eternal perspective. The Bible says in James 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is the Greek word stephanos, which is describing a laurel wreath way back in the ancient Greek Olympics where Olymp- the Olympics games originated from, the runners uh, on completion of their race would receive a wreath when they completed. And that's the picture here. The only difference with us and the runners, well, two differences, we're not naked, okay, because in the ancient Greek things, anyway, that's, that's what the pictures were like. They were all naked running. I guess it was hot. The second important difference was this. Their wreath was made of foliage and give it a couple of months and it will disintegrate. Your wreath, however, is eternal. And the crown of life that you will receive is for eternity. In Zimbabwe, I think it was Anne or Brian were telling me about uh, an advertising campaign that was alongside a road in Zimbabwe. And the advertising campaign was spread over three billboards. And you had to see all three to understand the campaign. But they were spread out long distance apart along the stretch of a road. Now here's the deal. If you only saw two of them and didn't see the last one, you wouldn't understand anything. You had to go the whole length to understand what it was communicating. And there are times where you're in the middle of something, you don't have a clue what's going on. You can't make head nor tail of the challenges you're facing. But I encourage you to remember to have an eternal perspective on life. This life, which seems so long and you want it to last so long, is very short. It's very short. We will all die. 
It will go like that. Honestly, it will go like that. And our hope is that God will want to live a life that's significant for the glory of God while we're here. But the great news is that if you have put your faith in Jesus, who died for you and rose again, you don't just have a life that dies. You have a life that lives. You have an eternal life. Your death, physically speaking, is just purely a transition into an eternity in the presence of the Savior you've trusted in. So I want to encourage you to have an eternal perspective. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, Paul writing, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So folks, do you have an eternal perspective? I believe you only get one life. And I believe after that we face God. Do you have an eternal perspective? Or are you living for stuff? Are you living for the temporary? Can you see the, can you see the big picture? Or are you just so absorbed in your now? So absorbed in the stuff that you've forgotten God? That you've lost your faith? I'm going to close in a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I realize there are many different people here today. Some of you are currently suffering. You're struggling. You need to know this. God is not the author of your suffering and he's definitely not out to get you. But in the middle of your suffering, don't shake your fist at God. Run to him. He will make you better, not bitter. Romans 8, 28 says, he will cause all things to work together for your good. That's a promise. Some of you here don't know God yet. It might be that you've been religious. You maybe have even gone to church. <clears throat> it might be that you've never been at church. But either way, you're not connected with God. And he's what it's all about. He loved you that much. He was willing to come and we celebrated this at Easter. He came. He died on the cross for you because we needed that to happen for us. Because we're sinners. And he died to pay the price for our sin. On the third day he rose again. He's alive now. And the Bible promises if you put your faith in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. I can't make that real for you, but I know it's real. God, I pray you'd make it real for them. And if that's you and you know that you don't know God, then make the biggest and best decision you've ever made. And today run to him and give your life entirely to him. Trust him for your life, for your future, and live a life that brings him glory. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you that with you, there's no dead ends. Thank you that we find ourselves in a life full of challenges, full of predicaments. And God, we don't want to blame you ever for things that you never authored. But we want to, in the middle of all different situations we find ourselves in, be grateful people, be rejoicing people, be people who are, are always able to worship you, the eternal God. Thank you, God, that even though circumstances change, you don't change. You are constant. You are the beginning and you are the ending. You are the constant. You never change. You just are. You always have been. You always will be. And we worship you, the eternal, unchanging, solid rock on which we base our lives. God, I pray, give my friends here the courage to face any challenge they face, knowing your purpose in the middle of that challenge. 
that you, even though you don't offer the challenge, you can use the challenge to their benefit. I pray for anyone facing challenges today. In this room, I ask you, God, that in your great love, you would turn their problems to their advantage in Jesus' name. I pray, God, their characters would come out shining in Jesus' name. I pray their faith wouldn't be intermixed with nonsense, but it would be pure faith, refined. I pray, God, that they would be perseverance, no quitters, keep on keeping honors, people who just don't quit, who see it through. And I pray we will live with an eternal perspective. God, this life will come and go. But with you, we have eternal life. And thank you, God, that the challenges we face in this life are not worthy to be compared to the reward that we find in you. God, I ask you, Father God, that today people would find you. God, I ask you today that people would find you. I pray for those who are not in relationship with you, God, today they would come into relationship with you. I pray today, God, that you give people the courage to step out and put their faith in you. I pray, God, for anyone here today who they know in their heart they are not in relationship with you, I pray give them the courage right now to cross a line, to put their faith in you. If that's you today, if you want to commit your life to God, believe in Jesus, accept his forgiveness, and live for him. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me right now. I invite you to make this commitment to him and choose to follow him from this day forward. Repeat this after me quietly under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, today, God, I give my life to you. Today, God, I put my trust in you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me and for rising again. Thank you that you died so I could be forgiven. And you rose so I could have an eternal life. I ask you for your forgiveness right now. Thank you. Jesus, right now I make you the Lord of my life. I choose from this moment forward to follow you. To the best of my ability, I want to live a life that brings you honor and pleasure. Jesus, I make you Lord. Boss, I put you first. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If anyone prayed that prayer, I know that God has heard your prayer. I'd love to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray God to, that God will bless you as you embark on this new life with him. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, in order to know who I'm praying for, I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. Just raise your hand. Quickly put your hand up and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Let's wait for a moment. You made that commitment. You prayed that prayer. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Before I pray, is there anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else before I pray? 
Put your hand up clearly so I can see it. God, thank you for my two friends today. They made a simple commitment today, God. But I know you've heard their prayer. I thank you, God, as they have put their faith in you. The Bible promises that they now have eternal life. I thank you, God, as they've asked for forgiveness. Your Bible promises that you have granted forgiveness. Help them from this day forward to walk with you, to live lives that bring you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.